This is the Retail Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. We're on that third mega trend where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel. They're walking into stores a lot more informed. We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult. You know, every day is a challenge, but that excites the customer. They love that. Welcome to this week's episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. We have two very interesting features coming up on the show today, and they're interesting to me for different reasons. The first of which is a look at the growing trend of brands committing to using recyclable plastic for their products. So uh, there are a lot of brands that have done this, including Nestle, Pepsi, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, amongst others. So this trend is only growing. So we have a conversation with Michigan State University professor Romani Narayan about the problem that plastic is posing to the environment and what companies are doing to combat that and what the material is that they are using to replace traditional plastic. So that is going to be the first feature on today's episode, that conversation with Romani and Orion, that is going to be with our correspondent here at MarketScale, Shelby Skurhawk. The second conversation today, the second feature on this week's show, is going to be a question about do the Grammys move the needle for album sales? So we're going to talk to Todd McCarty, the owner of Heat on the Street. He works to educate musicians and consult artists for placement on Spotify and other streaming services and really does his part to help launch careers. And so we're going to talk to him just about whether or not the Grammys still matters when it comes to album album sales to record sales and other things like that does it help boost awareness of certain artists does it help careers to perform in the grammys to win grammys to be there to be seen on television and that sort of thing so that's going to be a great conversation as well i'm really excited to hear what he has to say as somebody that loves music love to know what the grammys effect on album and record sales is so that is coming up on the second feature of the day he's going to talk to our host here at market scale daniel litwin so that is what's coming up on the show i'm really excited for you to get to hear Without further ado, let's dive into that conversation with Dr. Romani Narayan about the plastic problem and what companies are doing to fix it. Coming up next on the Market Scale Retail Podcast. Trash Island really exists. Actually, several trash islands exist, including the Great Pacific Garbage Patch located between California and Hawaii. This floating mass of debris is about twice the size of Texas. And ocean researchers have found that 90% of these trash pileups are comprised of plastic waste. This is the problem that one-time use plastic presents and why one large beauty retailer is taking action. The L'Occitane Group, a global manufacturer and retailer of natural cosmetics and well-being products, has committed to using 100% sustainable plastics by the year 2025. They've selected Geneva-based Loop Industries as the main supplier of PET plastic. Clearly, not all plastic is created equal. So PET is an acronym for a class of polymers, which we call polyester. PET is used in many applications. The most known one is in bottles. That's Ramani Nararan, University Distinguished Professor at Michigan State University in the Department of Chemical Engineering and Materials Science. The sustainability part of PET comes from whether that PET can be recovered from the waste stream and recycled. So today, PET is the most recycled polymer material in the world. 
And that doesn't say much, but it's at about 30 to 40% of PET is recovered and recycled either into the same product application or used for some other uh, applications. And so it is cycled back, recycled, cycled back. Well, that's an interesting fact that you say that PET plastic, I mean, it is the most recycled material, but only at most 40%. It lends itself to um, a term that you had talked about on your TED Talk, which uh, was about mismanaged waste. So uh, let's talk about that term and uh, the role that plastic plays in it. Mismanaged waste is a term which is assigned to municipal solid waste, which is just dumped. We have what we call landfills. These landfills are very well ma- well managed. It's like a tomb. You That itself is an oxymoron because in that we are preserving garbage for posterity. A resource is being simply managed. So clearly reducing the amount of plastic waste at the source is one way to get ahead of this accumulating trash problem we have across the globe. Indeed, some of the biggest consumer packaged goods companies in the world have joined in their own commitments to sustainable plastic. Nestle, PepsiCo, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, and The Body Shop have partnered with Loop to introduce a reusable and refillable packaging made from glass, stainless steel, or plastic that's durable. Quote, the innovative technology that Loop provides is a game changer that can help us fundamentally contribute to solving the growing global concern about plastic pollution, says Adrian Geiger, global brand director of L'Occitane. The French company already touts itself as a socially responsible company that's committed to limiting the environmental impact of its actions and products. They use recyclable, environmentally friendly packaging, including cardboard, glass, recyclable plastic and aluminum, and a minimum amount of unnecessary packaging material. They also say they're keeping an eye on where their key ingredients come from. For example, when the cultivation of almond trees in Provence was abandoned in the 30s, L'Occitane worked with its local government to revive its production for use in almond oil for its beauty products. More recently, L'Occitane says they've been monitoring the scarcity of lavender, which has raised the price of this popular essential oil used for its natural fragrance. With scarcity and higher prices in mind, some consumers are curious if this change is going to affect the costs of producing L'Occitane's products. There's not a clear answer if consumers will feel this impact, but there is certainly a difference in the cost of producing compostable plastics versus regular plastics. You mentioned compostable plastic and comparing that to traditional uh, one-time use plastic. Is compostable plastic more expensive to produce or to, uh, to manufacture or to to deliver in any way? Are there, I guess, cost considerations that that go into a company deciding to go with compostable? Compostable plastics are uh, priced higher, sometimes twice as much as, say, a regular plastic. Okay. The unfortunate part in this whole equation is that we do not take into consideration the price we pay for environmental damage or recovery. Because that is not taken into consideration, we're saying that I want a plastic which is going to behave like what 
we know today, but it must cost the same, but oh, by the way, it should be compostable or recyclable or whatever proper waste management infrastructure you want to impose on it. Okay. Uh, compostable plastics in conjunction with food and organic waste is a viable end of life strategy to manage this single use uh, disposable packaging and other similar use products. And so then I guess it falls to the companies and it falls to consumers with their buying power to kind of make those choices and make those decisions. So, of course, sustainability and responsible sourcing are becoming important to to consumers these days. Correct. Why, I guess in your opinion, why do you think we will see a greater shift towards sustainable plastics and companies using their buying power or their manufacturing power to make sustainable plastic a more prevalent part of the you know consumer packaged goods industry? So a couple of things. One, regulations. If you have regulations like California or Washington State or Minnesota, New Hampshire, places like this, which says that food and other related packaging cannot use plastics or for example says has to use compostable plastics in other words um, they are putting in motion laws which require the division or we require uh, waste generated at uh, households at uh, restaurants will go to composting. And therefore, the ancillary packaging and other uh, plastics used with that food and organic waste, which now is got to go to composting, has to be also compostable. So San Francisco has three bins. One of the bins is labeled compostable. Therefore, you must use a compostable bin liner. You must use uh, uh, anything, forks, knives, spoons, whatever you put into it must be compostable. And you're charged less for that garbage than say a non-recyclable, non-compostable product. Uh, Another very nice example is uh, People may have heard of this. Uh, Recently, the uh, Ellen MacArthur Foundation, in conjunction with the World Economic Forum, uh, came out with a guidance document. It was termed a line in the sand, and it is called a global commitment to eliminate plastic pollution at the source. And the key phrase is at the source. So it's not at the back end where municipalities have to put up the infrastructure, it is pointing the, uh, the direction right back at the producer for this global commit- commitment, have three targets, right? One is eliminate problematic or unnecess- unnecessary plastic packaging, uh, which we all know, you know, how many of us have seen packaging which is over-engineered, uh, you might uh, require a lot of uh, things to even open it up. That still exists and that needs to be reduced. But to me, the most important target there is the following words. It says, innovate, 
to ensure 100% of plastic packaging can be easily and safely reused, recycled, or composted by 2025. So this is a very positive development. And uh, so I see this as a very good omen that uh, we're going to move in that, uh, in that direction. Regulations will still play a major role um, because once you have regulations which says uh, if you have a venue, a closed venue, and the people who run the venues or if you have a festival uh, make a choice that all food products and related products sold must be packaged in compostable containers or compostable plastics. Now, if you want to sell that, you have to have compostable plastic. Then all the waste which is generated is going to be compostable. And bottle, if you should, you can use PET, it can be recycled. So a two bin system and waste management becomes very efficient and we call almost zero waste solutions. Another interesting development, which we think is a positive sign, because that's the question you had, uh, you know, what has changed that now suddenly everybody's going to become more conscious? That's really like the front lines of people that are, that are kind of making a stand and, and saying that this is important. So they're going to commit space and dollars and uh, kind of social consciousness uh, to that. Yes. I was saying, uh, I know I'm speaking to you from India, I said, and it was fascinating. I came here for a Petrotech conference and I am learning that as a part of the Indian Prime Minister's Clean India, they call it Swachh Bharat campaign. There is a mandate to create composting and what they call biomethanation. And the potential then is enormous, right? Because according to the US EPA model, one ton of organic bio waste will be equivalent to about 1.4 tons of CO2 reduction. That's an amazing statistic. So simply by managing your organic waste stream in a better way, by not dumping it, is effectively going to create a big impact of reducing the global warming potential and the attendant climate changes associated with it. And if such a thing happens, compostable plastics that are used and associated with safety and preserving the products quality, all these things will be again useful and help in enabling move towards compostability and composting organic waste uh, function more effectively. It's interesting that you mentioned you're, you're coming to us from, from India today having traveled for a conference. So in most of the most of the United States, we've got two bins, the trash and the recycle in San Francisco. There's three bins to include composting uh, there where you are. Is there usually just one bin? <laughs> I would hate to say this, but there are no bins here. I mean, they're trying to get things going in that direction. Yeah. 
but uh, it's like leapfrogging over. Everybody is saying, oh, and I'm sure every one of your listeners, you, even yourself, stand in front of the bins and you got this uh, waste package in your hand and you're wondering, now where does this really go? Because <laughs> I've stood in front of one for a few minutes thinking, ah, this is where it should. And if it takes me, who I consider myself a thought leader in this field, has to take so much time. <laughs> I right. pity the poor consumer who stands there. He's not going to take that much time. He's just going to throw it <laughs> away. So I think that the concept of two bins, almost zero bins, right? If you take the consumer out of the picture and have a more managed system where all our packaging for food and other products is compostable, and if then there is going to be more uh, success in the end-of-life strategies. For Market Scale Retail, I'm Shelby Skirhawk. Thank you to Shelby Skirhawk for that look at the plastic problem. And thank you so much to Dr. Ramani Narayan for joining us here on the podcast today. Coming up next is going to be a conversation with Todd McCarty, the owner of Heat on the Street. And we're going to learn more about whether or not the Grammys still move the needle for album sales. And are people even buying albums anymore? I think that's a good question to ask. But does it increase streams? Does it increase the visibility of certain artists? Is it beneficial to be at the Grammys? Is it beneficial to play at the Grammys? And what's the future of the retail? industry for musicians and for the music industry. So that's coming up next here on the Market Scale Retail Podcast. All right, today I have the pleasure of welcoming Todd McCarty. He's the founder and owner of Heat on the Street, a blog for musicians to find their way around the music industry. Todd, great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? Excellent. Thanks for having me on, Daniel. Absolutely. I'm excited to chat a bit more about the Grammys' effects on music sales. Um, so before we jump into that, I think I'd like to get your thoughts on the Grammys themselves. What were your thoughts this year? You feel like awards went to the right people? I feel like it's always a toss-up. There are some that always speak to me as like, yes, they they really um, you know showcase this artist that put in a lot of work, and a lot of times an artist gets a, an award that I'm kind of left baffled that they they won over all the others. It, it can be a, it can be kind of a toss. Yeah, I'd say overall, I, I thought they scored pretty well. There was a lot of um, probably pressure on them this year to get it right yeah. with all the, all the drama around different award shows. And um, I thought that they got some of the better, you know, performing records. Um, some of the obvious ones won. It wasn't a ton of surprises to me. Um, but there were some nice... Um, sort of sort of surprises in there from some developing you know some some smaller artists in there um and i I think they did a lot to diversify and and get the makeup of the show right this year so i I give them pretty good marks i I enjoyed it cool we'll give them a 10 out of 10 on todd mccarty scale 
I love it. So let's dig in a little bit to the main topic here. We're analyzing whether the Grammys and whether other large award shows have tangible effects on album sales and really more specifically some physical record sales, whether that's vinyl, whether that's CD or just tangible merch. Um, And we can look at big artists. We can look at small artists. So from a general perspective, before digging into this year or um, any anomalies in this trend, do you generally see any correlation between an award show and then an artist that won or was or that was nominated um, get an increase in album sales record sales merch sales in general yes um, it depends on whether they were a performing artist or an award winner a, a, um, a presenter or you know like a like a legacy act but it, it but generally it's yes on on nearly every uh, every scale and it tends to push up the distribution um, and it pushes these records out to outlets that they typically wouldn't have wouldn't have reached uh, just one example is um, you know drugstores s- still have compact discs and very small quantities on the shelves um, and there's only slots for maybe 10 or 20 of them um, so some of these records might make their way onto there and as a result, they're hitting that mass merchant um, level a lot more. Right. And do you see this effect mostly with larger, already established artists? Or do you see this affect your smaller artists as well? Because you do mention, yes, some drugstores still carry um, physical CDs. And obviously with your record stores, they have their new release sections and they often have um, fresh vinyls that come in. It's not just your your classics. Um, Do you see those fresh artists that are trying to still make a name for themselves? Maybe this is their first big appearance they're nominated for best new artist or something do they see the same love on the on the album and merch sale side of things or is it really just reestablishing your already solidified artist it's a little bit of both i mean already kendrick lamar and post malone records are pretty much everywhere they're ever going to be um it might be a case where like a casey musgraves or a childish gambino may like uh, get knocked up to that next top tier um, level where they where they've got full distribution. But on a smaller artist like a like a Brandy Carly, Carly for example, or Jan- Janelle Monet, um, just those kind of smaller niche genres, they're not going to get you know the the biggest the biggest positioning or biggest looks at retail. So let's talk a bit more about the actual impact of this traditional retail on the music industry still. Um, Do you feel like it's even really worth chatting about? I mean, I know obviously the whole conversation is the Grammys effect on tangible sales um, and and physical sales, not just streaming or um, digital downloads. But do you feel like for the emerging artists, they should still be factoring in physical retail sales as part of their marketing campaign or as just part of their overall artist's journey? Um, for, for developing artists that are, you know, they don't have full albums out or maybe they've just experimenting with singles and still trying to find their, their sound, not at all. Like just do the digital, the digital business, um, streaming and MP3s. Um, but you know, once you've got an album, especially if you're a live act, that's a good opportunity to press 
physical goods, whether it's vinyl. Um, in some genres, vinyl is really popular. Um, some genres still CD is okay. And I do recommend they press those up if they're doing live shows or also um, if they can, if they have a, a large enough fan base to do some D to C business um, on, on their online store. Those are all, um, you're able to register those UPCs to Nielsen SoundScan and um, those can really help your, your sales profile as a, as a developing artist. So uh, I still recommend it, uh, but it's case by case. It depends on the genre. Like for an EDM artist, I wouldn't recommend physical at all. For rock artists, 100%. Hmm. Um, but yeah, digital, uh, when you ask the question, is, it, is physical worth talking about? I mean, in the general sense, it's in definite decline. But... Um, the, the CD and, and vinyl records, they still have, um, you know, a demand. And of course, vinyl is still, still growing. Um, you know, it's slowed a little bit, but it's, the format is, is growing, whereas CD is definitely on rapid decline. Um, but, but there's certain niches where a CD still makes sense. Uh, you know, the, the older the user, the, the, the more inclined they are to have CD players and want that format. Right. Um, and then again, like for special, special things where it's a good revenue stream, say it's like a summer camp for children um, and they, they play music at the summer camp. It's a good opportunity for um, that person to sell, you know, sell the music CDs to the parents right there. And it's a, you know, something where kids don't have access to credit cards and all of that. So the parents are buying. Um, and, and so the, those type of markets, children's music, a CD still does very well. So when we look at the traditional up-and-coming artist, which is kind of an oxymoron because I don't think there really are traditional up-and-coming artists anymore. Everyone is having to carve their own space to really stand out. But just for the sake of this conversation, when you look at your your traditional up-and-coming artist, how are you seeing them utilize retail in innovative ways? You know, physical sales, whether it's merch, whether it's vinyl, whether it's CDs, um, to engage audiences, to um, reach new people. I guess, where are they still seeing value in those physical sales, even if they have a small community? That's a great question. Um, some of the creative uses are I'm seeing different formats, like it could be a USB stick or it could be a, a plush toy that, you know, has an, has an animal or a coloring book that has audio mixed in. Um, there's, there's those types of creative uses. Um, but what I often see that's, that's ironic is a physical product that will also have uh, sort of a QR code that also leads them back to Spotify. So it's like, They'll buy the album, but they may want to have the convenience of listening online as well, and they'll they'll have that um, that option to go stream it as well. Um, I th I think uh, I think that that kind of um, it just they say albums are for for your core fans. Like when you're a developing artist, make your make an album for your fans make a single to go out and get new fans and as a tool to like bring, bring new, new listeners in. Um, so when you've got those super fans, there's just, um, it's, it's important to try to monetize them, uh, in the best, the best way you can. So, um, that's where the physical, the vinyl configurations are getting really cool with multicolor vinyl. And you'll see like, even like liquid infused vinyl and glow in the dark and all these different, 
cool novelty items that um, that come up. So those are that's what I'm seeing mostly in the vinyl and sort of physical product um, formats. So now let's tie this back to the Grammys and to award shows. Do you see that traditional up-and-coming artists utilize the Grammys or other large music events as maybe a chance to push these products a little more? So let's say, um, okay, the Grammys just happened. They do a little social media campaign to engage their audience, and they utilize the buzz around the Grammys to then push their products. Do you see them really trying to utilize the buzz within the community authentically or is it two different worlds i think that every artist that is either nominated for a grammy or wins a grammy definitely uses the opportunity to the fullest it it still is a big a big deal and a huge pr move for them so they definitely do that but as far as utilizing the products i don't see a ton of creativity what I do see is the record labels going back and especially with uh, like legacy artists, the, the sort of Grammy aristocrats, the ones that, you know, have been on the show five, six, ten times. They'll go back and use it as an opportunity for PR to keep their, their evergreen business going. Um, but they'll also um, take those opportunities to, you know, time with box sets or expanded versions um, deluxe editions, those types of things. That's where you're going to see the Grammys kind of tie into a retail product. It's going to be in the form of um, best ofs and greatest hits and those types of things. Love that. Which, though to a degree, can be kind of difficult for the up-and-coming artists to really capitalize on, right? Because if they're up-and-coming, they don't really have a, a best-of collection Yeah, They might only have one or two projects out. Yeah, you're really not seeing you're really not seeing a lot of creativity or expanded products with developing artists that are nominated for Grammys. Um, really, they're just happy to have the PR and the sales uplift that goes along with all of that. So to wrap things up, Todd, when we look at physical retail sales within the music industry, what would you say is the category of product that has the most longevity and you think is going to continue to be a staple of physical retail sales, even though, yes, physical isn't um, quite as enticing anymore. Everyone can stream. Everyone has a digital download. They watch their music videos on YouTube. What product is still enticing for fans and is something that your Taylor Swift or your up-and-coming SoundClouder is going to still invest some energy, some time, and some money into? 100% vinyl. Um, that's that's probably the, the there's not a second uh, second close one to vinyl and and I mean you mentioned Taylor Swift uh, Beatles White Album was like the top selling vinyl up until um, Taylor Swift's album about four three or four years ago came out and even Taylor Swift at I, I don't know if she still has the record but she knocked out the Beatles White Album as the best selling vinyl wow. album so. Um, if she can do it, um, so can Kendrick Lamar or any of these other artists. They're going to be selling, um, you know, huge amounts of vinyl. And they also get creative with it because when you get your unit price up on your unit quantities up on vinyl, the price comes down. So they can do better packaging, cooler packaging, um, and, and, and really, really do some cool stuff with it. 
but yeah, vinyl's here to stay. It'll never go away. Um, it's just, it's just the, the, the kind of, um, the reason that it's called an album, you know, it was, the vinyl was the perfect, um, sort of the perfect format for music. And it really helps engage fans, I think, um, because of its size. You get something that feels very collectible. Um, obviously, you get to listen to the music in a format that sometimes is even higher fidelity than what you're getting to hear on streaming or with a digital download. And it, sometimes that authentic grittiness really adds uh, value to the music you're listening to. I know when I'm listening to my Daft Punk records, I sometimes prefer to just toss on the vinyl because something about the light grit adds more flavor to those big bass drops and I think part of that and also having the vinyl cardboard frame to put up on my wall is uh, an added bonus so yeah I agree I think vinyl is definitely here to stay and should definitely be an investment for every artist I know the big ones are obviously selling vinyls but even for your small artists it's a way to engage fans and give them something to collect and give them something to purchase which then puts more money in your pocket and helps you fund your endeavors absolutely I, I agree with everything you said um, it's, it's a collector mentality and, and there's, there's also these uh, music completists out there that follow a particular artist or a label and they just want to have everything. They want to have every colorway that's, that's released. They want to have the, the foreign pressings, all of, all right. of that. It's a, fun, it's a fun business. Well, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, giving us a little more insight on the effect of award shows and specifically the Grammys on tangible music sales. Always appreciate your input and uh, looking forward to bringing you back on in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Daniel. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much to Todd McCarty for joining the podcast this week. And thank you to my colleague, Daniel Lippman, for conducting that interview. That is all we have time for in this week's episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. We do appreciate you listening very much. For more content just like this, go to marketscale.com, click on Industries, and scroll down to Retail. And there you'll be able to find more podcasts just like this one, written content as well as videos. You'll be able to find all of our coverage from NRF and other major events there as well. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.